When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Jay Scott, and it is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. We always do appreciate it. We also appreciate any reviews and feedback that you always give the show wherever you listen on any platform. So please remember that. We also are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts, including the official Metallica podcast, the Metallica Report. So please check out that and the other Great host and shows on Pantheon. You can find them at Pantheon Pods on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as PantheonPodcast.com. You can do the same with the Hook Rocks on all three of those platforms. Just search up the Hook, the Hook Rocks. And don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episode right to your phone and you can enjoy all the old ones we've done. We've had some tremendous episodes since the beginning of the year. We welcome Joe Satriani, Todd Damakerns, the Gems, great Swedish band that's, uh, Formerly three former members of Thunder Mother, Tuck Smith. Man, that guy can write a hook. He should teach a class on it. Great indie artist. And we just had Stephen Piercy from Rat, and we welcomed Don Jameson from That Metal Show, and now That Rocks. We did the Ten Commandments of Rock and Roll Fans, so please check out that fun episode. And we've got another great guest for you today. It's a guest that I've been wanting to have for a while. Um, I've been a fan of his music since the Electric Angels days. Um, which great CD from 1990. I had the pleasure of seeing him outside the Chicago area, I think like six years ago at this place called Rock House. He was touring with a couple other guitar players on tour and he had a solo album out and I loved his solo music and I never saw him live. I saw him with Alice Cooper, but just by himself. And I'm like, I have to go. It's 10 minutes from my house. And uh, it was a great show. And to hear his music, which is very rare because he doesn't tour under his own solo uh, albums and and, uh, and songs like he does with Alice Cooper. It was a nice treat for me to hear it. And that guest is none other than Mr. Ryan Roxy. What's happening, man? How are you? 
What's happening, Jay? That, that is a great introduction. It really is. Thanks. Oh, I appreciate it. Appreciate yeah, it. no, that was a great show, man. I it was at the Rock House, which is West Dundee, and it's an old. It was an old movie theater. It was converted into a um, a live venue, and I saw that you. Were I remember the gig. I definitely do. It was a very cool gig yeah. and a very cool venue. It was with the Planet Axe tour. Yeah, we that- had Brandon was on was on the bill. Brandon Gibbs, as well as uh, Joel Koshay. And we called that act uh, the, the the we called the night Planet Axe. And I know that uh, Kenny was on drums, uh, Kenny Bailey on drums, and our good very own Robbie Miller on the bass guitar. And um, Robbie's actually producing uh, some of the new tracks that I'm doing now that I'm recording here in South Africa. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it was a great show, and like I said. I felt like I had to go because you don't really tour just as Ryan Roxy a lot in the States. You're always on tour with Alice and you do that kind of stuff. So I'm like, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be something that, you know, is not a regular thing. So I actually <laughs> got my, I got my son a babysitter and, uh, yeah, like, there's a big back. difference between touring with Alice Cooper and touring with, uh, Ryan Roxy sort of solo stuff. It's a, the difference of a tour bus versus a rent a car, I right. think. And no one gets beheaded either. Um, I wouldn't say that. There, there, there's some beheadings backstage. I think at one point or another in the evening. I mean, uh, Robbie Miller likes to bring his uh, machete and I don't know, cut the heads off of uh, I don't know. <laughs> the, the thing is, touring the clubs and doing the club circuit is a completely different thing, but just as rewarding, almost a little bit more intimidating. I might say than the bigger venues that we get to play with Alice because, you know, if there's fifty, a hundred people in a, in a in a small club, that is like you know every single person has got their focus on you. At least with a couple thousand, you know, you see a you see a few of them checking their cell phones, checking their Instagrams, you know, going off to get a a beer during the drum solo, whatever, you know, the the old. Uh, I just think it's it's one of those things where it's a lot more pressure on the player the smaller the venue. So that's the good news for any up and coming uh, musicians out there. You're already playing the hardest gigs that you're ever going to have to in your life because the bigger the gigs the gigs get, sort of the easier they get inside your head. I think that's an interesting perspective, and I, and I agree with that. I mean, especially with the way people are easily distracted these days. People are can't put their phones down. I mean, I see it at shows all the time. That's why when I go to a show and I saw the rank of tours with my son, like probably five years ago up in Milwaukee, and they made you put the phone in your pouch in a pouch so you couldn't yeah. access your phone. And the energy was so much different than what it is if you don't, because everybody was in the moment. Everybody was present mentally and physically. And it created a synergy and an energy that I haven't felt in a long time at a show because of the distractions. And when I walked out with my son, I go, that's how a show is supposed to feel like. Everyone's supposed to feel like one unit, you know, concentrating and enjoying the music and the performance. Whereas today, it's like people are talking. People are on their phone. It's it's just, it's very difficult. Unfortunately... Us as musicians, we sort of always grab, maybe us as humans, I'm not sure, but we, we tend to always 
almost attract to, to the, to the negative or whatever, right. because we go, we look for the negative comments. There could be a thousand, you know, positive comments on your, you know, your YouTube, your newest YouTube release, but then there's one negative and then that's the one that sticks out to you. It's the same with an audience. If you're playing a gig, you focus on the one person that's either going, you suck or you post or, or, or on their phone. And I, purposefully now i've stopped doing it years ago but i made i had to make a conscious effort not to do it i try to not focus on that guy because that guy or girl or whoever that negative influence that negative commenter has nothing to do with all the other people enjoying the show so that's where i sort of again any sort of advice you've already done the hardest gigs that you're going to have to do when you start getting to play bigger bigger gigs always Celebrate the win and celebrate the people that are coming to see you and into the show. Don't worry about one or two people that might be having a great time because it, in the in the big picture, they're coming to see you play and then your their energy feeds you. And the way it's supposed to work is when you're playing, your charisma, whatever your performance is supposed to feed them. And that's where that synergy comes in. Absolutely. Do you, do you find you, you touched on how you focus on the negative or artists focus on the try negative. not to anymore, but yeah, yeah. I, I definitely, I have been guilty of it. There's, I think it's in a silly way. It's human nature, right? But it's also very common with an artist such as yourself. I mean, I talk to a lot of different bands. I get sent music from artists, you know, they have an upcoming album coming out. And, you know, one of the comments is, Send me, you know, call me after the initial listen. I want to hear your thoughts. So I'll call them and they'll be, I'll be like, it's great. It's awesome. I'm like, yeah, I agree. Then I talk to them a week later. I don't know if it's good enough. I don't know if it's bad. So there's like that struggle of finding your way, navigating your way through this internal battle and internal struggle of the negative and positive and doubting yourself and being confident in yourself. Have you experienced that? Do you still experience that? I think everybody has experienced that sort of self-doubt and questioning their stuff. But in recent years, I've really consciously made an effort to take a step back and, again, celebrate the win. Um, put out music, whether if you're even if you're kind of on the fence about it, there's going to be a group of people that really identify with it. It's part of you, you know. And if you felt you have done a lot of work on it, maybe not your best work, but you put in time, effort, uh, creativity, soul, and you've put it on this piece of art, for instance, a song, release it. Don't be the, the genius that has the greatest songs in the world that are never released. I've put out a thing called the Roxy Box a few years ago, and it goes from all the re albums that I've recorded myself and then even demos that were before that of songs that didn't make the album, but I felt needed to get out there into the world to one of the first bands, like little EP cassettes. We remastered that onto a uh, CD and I just felt it had to come out there because that, and that was my body of work at that time. And it was over, I think, about 70 songs. So that it's all released out there now. So people can make uh, 
They can go listen to it for themselves, see what songs they identify with it. It's always great to get a comment or a DM saying, hey, this Bye Bye Kitty song that you did in 1984, 1985, whatever year it was, I, I really like that song. I was like, okay. I wasn't expecting that, but I felt it needed to come out in the world, you know. But at the time, perhaps I would have never put it out. But now, the, this thinking that I have is put your art out there. There's going to be someone that likes it. And always remember, there's never going to be a bigger fan of your music than yourself. You're the one that has to live with it. You're the one that creates it. You're the one that eventually will put it out. But that also means that you're the one that over-scrutinizes it. So, don't get into that habit of over critiquing your art and your, your music. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I know we got, I want to continue this conversation, but I didn't ask the usual first question that I normally do when I have a first time. I believe in ghosts. <laughs> and that is really the essence of the show. We always start out the same time, you know, same way every time we have a, a first time guest such as yourself. And just like every great rock song that has a hook, Every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance, that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? <laughs> what was the what was the one moment that made me say I want to be a rock and roller? Yeah. It was probably in grade school um, when there would be a it was a school assembly. I think I was might have been in the fourth grade. And they call everybody into the school assembly into the uh, assembly room and it was all classes. Like, I think I, I was at fourth grade, third grade. I was young and there's still a picture of it that I have uh, framed in, in, in my house. It's of me just looking up, sitting Indian style, watching a band, a rock band that came to the school to do a free concert. And I just remember them having long hair, loud amps, and I can't remember what the what the music sounded like, but I but the, the picture shows that I was just in awe. And I remember the name of the band, Orange Plus. So Orange Plus, I don't know if you're still together. I don't know if you went on to become Metallica, but guess what? Well, Metallica would have been my age or a couple of years, <laughs> right around the same age as me. So it wasn't them. But whatever happened to Orange Plus, you did inspire me at that moment that that's what I wanted to do. And then, of course... The album Frampton Comes Alive, that live album between li the live albums for me would, would be another sort of thing that got me into saying, I have to do this. So whether it was Frampton Comes Alive with his purple hair on that uh, on that album cover and his Les Paul or it's Cheap Trick at Budokan, those two live albums made me want to play live in front of audiences for the rest of my life. Well, both those albums come from that 70s generation of the live album. And one of the things that's always mentioned with those albums is the energy that they couldn't find on a studio album. You know, Cheap Trick, if you listen to those first three studio albums that they had before at Budokan, great albums, but nowhere near the energy that at Budokan has. Same thing with Frampton Comes Alive, same thing with Thin Lizzy, same thing with Kiss. All those bands that released albums. Yeah, I would, I would go, I would beg to, I'll have that argument with you because the cheap trick, cheap trick, uh, as far as a debut album, you know, pound for pound, top five debut albums of all time with the energy and the attitude. Appetite for Destruction, obviously being our generation from my generation. I think that's the best debut album of, of any band 
for sure, since my yeah. generation. And that talks about energy as well. But, you know, again, those there's a it's highly debated and there's those are are out there. There's some old schoolers out there going, but wait a second, Frampton Comes Alive wasn't really a, a live album, was it? It was kind of a studio album, kind of. But the crowd was from Winterland. And guess what? You had that that uh, uh, Japanese crowd from Budokan. They had the crowd noise pumped it, but I don't know how if there's any overdubs or anything because honestly, probably not. Because back in those days, Cheap Trick, well, still to this day, Cheap Trick is always on fire when they play live. It's always a sign of a great band if you have a live show that is consistently great and you can, you know, vocals are completely in tune before auto tune. (laughs) And, and so those types of those live albums really did, there's something about it that there had to be a live element, but I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be completely shocked if there was an overdub here or there. I've done a few live albums myself. (laughs) I think everything, everything needs to be cleaned up, so to speak, you know, I mean, with a live album, but that's a good way of saying it. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But Hey, that's what I'm here for, Ryan. Um, But, I, I think when I look back at those albums, you know, I think when I, I, I speak to the energy that cheap trick that I talk about is because when you hear, I want you to want me the studio version versus the app Budokan version. I mean, there's a, a, a huge level of energy that the studio version just doesn't have. You know what I mean? And, and I agree with you that cheap trick debut, which I just got on vinyl, a, a, a first pressing. I, I was in California last year and i was at a record store in redondo and i just happened along and they had the the first pressing of the cheap trick debut album like i have to get that so i bought the album and i went to like a a u.s mailbox place and i packaged it up and i sent it because i didn't want to carry it on the plane and have something happen to it (laughs) so no i mean it yeah cheap trick is um is one of those bands. Pick up he's a whore any given any given Sunday, and you got yourself one of the most energetic rock songs of all time. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But, I mean, it's. Yeah, I just saw them too in Chicago last summer. They played a gig, and I hadn't seen them in ten plus years. It's been a while since I saw them last. Before that, and they just crushed it. I mean, there. Well, it's, it's, you mentioned I want you to want me. The studio version is a pop song, and it, yeah. it, it's a kind of a Beatley almost not bubblegum, but it's like, it's more of a pop song, the way it's recorded. Very clean. Even though uh, I, th- I believe Jack Douglas recorded the tracks and Tom Weirman produced, uh, mixed it, but very well produced. And it sounds, you know, very nice and clean, but pop with angle. Well, I want you to want me on Budokan is a rock song. And it's, 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 that's the difference. And that's what I think is another telltale sign of a great rock band is when you can be, your recordings can sound polished and produced and like any Beatles song. But then when you play live, you got that grit and you got that edge. And again, all you have to do is listen to the rooftop Beatles album or the rooftop Beatles concert to uh, see that they were a rock band down to the core. That's so true. What you say, the first time I saw cheap trick was 30 years ago. And I, knew their albums. I knew their music. I mean, you know, growing up in outside of Chicago, they're from Rockford, which is not too far away. And I remember seeing them for the first time and I was not expecting the grit and the absolute just in your face rock that they were going to do. And it blew my mind. I'm like, are you, 
are you kidding me? Like, this is insane. This is great. And that's why I always tell people who haven't seen them and just judge them on their, on their studio albums. Studio albums are great. I said, but go see them live because it's a whole different experience. Yeah. And again, that's my favorite bands all have that live uh, grit and they have that it's they they can be a pop band i have no problem with it but when you when you play live have that energy that takes it to the top that doesn't necessarily have to make it heavy metal doesn't necessarily have to make it you know over the top heavy but that's where the term rock and roll comes from to me that's my interpretation of rock and roll is is a little bit sleazy not everything's perfect but the songs are great and the attitude is definitely there. And if you can see that in a live band, then you immediately, or you can actually hear it on a recording, then I immediately become a fan of that band. Do you think that's becoming lost with the new generation of bands and artists, with the new generation of fans? I think it's kind of a double-edged sword and there's there's enough, I don't want to say blame, maybe that's not the right word, but I think bands feel they have to sound like the album these days. And I think the fans expect them to sound like the album and they don't want to have anything less than that. Whereas my generation, your generation love the atmosphere of a live show because it was going to be different. It was going to be raw. It was going to be authentic and it was going to be something that you couldn't capture on an album. Led Zeppelin is one of the prime examples. Their live experience was completely different than their albums. And I just think that, yes, the fan, the bands with, whether it's with tracking or whether it's with, Whatever they use, they are, they're, they're so interested in creating this experience that is a replica of the album and the mm-hmm. fans expect it now, especially the younger generations. I agree, but I also think there is a definite uh, need and a, and, and a definite wanting from the fans to see a raw, exciting new band that comes out that's just guitar-based drums. I see it in our own shows with Alice Cooper because we don't have any tracks. The only tracks that happen for our for our band at a show is like a, an old sampler that our drum tech, Michael Miller, the great Michael Miller, he hits a button from an old-school sampler that releases the scream when Alice's head gets cut off every single night. Or there's like maybe a little piano intro to um, either it's Steven or there, there's, there's some sort of um, some sort of the explosion, for instance, in the beginning of poison, that sam- that's a sample, but that's the only sort of thing that we use. So there's nothing that's going on to time code. There's, there's three guitar players and a rhythm section and and the original singer, Alice Cooper, just playing the songs the way that we tried to do in the spirit of those original bands that recorded it. And I see younger audiences every single night, especially when we go to Europe. I see teenage audiences really responding to it. And, you know, then the next band on the festival will be playing with without a bass player on stage because the bass is all on track and they'll be getting into that as well. But I will tell you that there's an element of like, what the hell is this when they see something live, but it still sounds sonically full and 
the way you would kind of expect it to. And that, that I give up to our, our sound technicians and the technology now in general for live sound. I mean, you have to understand that the bar has been raised over the years, not just visually with the lights and pyrotechnics, but just the sound quality has been raised at a live show, which is quite funny because most of the mute, most people listen to their music on a cell phone, which is probably the worst sonic experience you can have. But maybe that's why they want something to sound so big, you know, like they're listening to it with AirPods on, but they're live at the show when they come to see it live. But I'll tell you, we, we, I think the Alice Cooper band does a pretty good job of playing live without tapes, but still sounding pretty representative of what we are. And trust me, there's mistakes, but you know what? We play our mistakes with attitudes. So that's kind of gets uh, mistaken for style. <laughs> well, what, what did Eddie Van Halen once say? If you make a mistake, do it twice. So they make, you know, they think you did it on purpose. Um, yes. Sometimes <laughs> three times for me on stage. <laughs> but it's, it. I think it also, I, I think, a lot of the new generation of music relies too much on technology. Um, I know there's, there's modules now that give you a tone of whatever you want instead of tone chasing, right? I mean, guitar players, artists as yourself, you know, would sit and you would try to find your own sound. You'd find your, you, what you want to sound like. Whereas now there's modules that you plug into a laptop, you run, you know, your, your, your music through a laptop on stage and it spits out whatever tone is programmed for that song. And I just think that loses that uh, definitely loses that authenticity element that really is needed in live music today. Well, but I also guarantee you this, if you put two really good, uh, distinguished and original guitar players you know, side by side playing out of the same exact modules and the same exact profiles, those guitar sounds are going to sound different because at the end of the day, you know, you can talk all you want. And I, and I do talk a lot about tone with, with tube amps or whether it's, it's, uh, you know, sampling sounds or whatever. I talk a lot about, I've used everything, you know, in recording scenarios we've used plugins uh we've used uh, modeling amps we've used the old school tried and true tube amps with marshalls and Hughes and kentner and and fender amps but we've also you know at the end of the day it's the heart and the head telling the hand what to do and once your fingers touch that guitar and your heart is in your head are actually working together you know that's where the real tone comes through. So, you know, you could say, oh, you put two different. I, I just had this uh, I just had this experience come up when I talked with Mick Mars on my podcast. I have, a, I have a podcast called In the Trenches, and I just interviewed Mick Mars. And we talked about how uh, Eddie Van Halen and Mick Mars back in the day were playing the same modified Rivera amps, the same exact type of mods that were done with both amps. but two totally different tones, both sounding great, but two separate ones because Mick is a, has his own distinctive tone and Eddie Van Halen obviously has the best tone ever made <laughs> in the history of guitar players. So there you go. Yeah, I think I That's read That's my it. opinion, by the way. I, I love Eddie Van Halen and yeah. I, I love a lot of guitar players, but, you know, pound for pound, you can't ever 
you can't ever say that Eddie Van Halen had one of the most distinctive tones of, of our time, you know, Jim, Jimi Hendrix, another one, you know, um, Stevie Ray Vaughan makes, makes a Stratocaster not sound like a Stratocaster. Um, people that make their guitar talk, that to me is like, that's a talent. And Eddie Van Halen made his guitar not just talk, sing, dance, everything. Now, the other end of that spectrum with making the guitar talk, I mean, I also think of Joe Walsh, you know, different style, but no doubt. the way he... The way he plays the guitar, it's like you could put a vocal to it and have, you know, lyric and, and sing that melody that he's playing. It's very interesting when a guitar player can do that. I love when when they when a player can accomplish that. Well, that's why Baskin Robbins has 31 flavors of ice cream, right? Because all of us have a favorite guitar player and a favorite bunch of guitar players. So Joe Walsh, obviously one of yours. Yeah, Joe Walsh is definitely one of my favorites. Eddie, too. You know, Jimmy Page, Richie Kotzen. Um I had a, great, great yeah, I had a funny story. My when my son first picked up guitar, he'd noticed that Kotzen was playing a telly. And um I went and saw I went to this guitar shop and I'm like, Yeah, my son's interested in in uh playing a telecaster. And the guy's like, Well, why? Tell me why. And I'm like, Well, he really likes Richie Kotzen. And he looked at me, he goes, There's only one guy that can sound like Kotzen on a telly, and that's Richie Kotzen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. So to your point. I mean, I, I I like a Telecaster because Prince played a Telecaster. Right. And he had an original tone. He had an original sound. But, I mean, certain guitars, certain players, you, you just equate. I'm uh, I'm very thankful that I've been able to play, all through my years with Alice Cooper, I've been able to play kind of a spectrum of guitars because of all the great bands that Alice had put together before I joined the band, all those amazing guitar duos and all those songs that came out, whether it's, you know, Steve Hunter and Dick Wagner or the original OGs, Glenn Buxton and Michael Bruce, these guys, like they basically kept me, keep me employed because of those great songs, those well-recorded songs. We're still playing them today for audiences, but you know, I, all those, all those sounds and all those different types of eras of Alice Cooper, I would play a certain guitar for what would fit the song. If it was, you know, the poison era, maybe I'd use a flying V or an explorer, or if it was an old school Alice Cooper original band, maybe I'd play an SG or a Les Paul. And now, now with the newer stuff that we just released on this new studio album with road um, with Alice Cooper, I get to play a rock and roll relics revenge, which is a Roxy revenge model that they have made for me, but really great guitars in their own right as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky that I get to not just have get have one guitar that I play, but a spectrum of them. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Your style of music when you do your solo stuff, which I've always loved, um, especially you know the last album that I saw you on, which was Imagine Your Reality. Um, when you're, you know, when you get outside of that Alice Cooper world and you're creating for your your own music, how do you start your creative process? Is it a, is it a riff? Is it a melody? Melody? Is it a, is it a lyric? Where do you where, where's the genesis of it? All of the above, and, and they come at different times. You know, it's, it's what comes first, the chicken or the egg. It's always like, what comes first, the riff or the lyric? Well, sometimes, you know, it's a wave turning into a particle or whatever you want to call it. It goes, it's, it's, it goes down that deep to what sometimes you wake up in those early morning hours, the rustling of the morning stars, I call it, where you're just kind of in that haze between sleep and, and you know, unconsciousness and consciousness. And then you, some ideas come to you. Sometimes it's a lyrical idea. Sometimes it's a... It's a melody. Sometimes it's a, a full-on guitar riff and song. That's why I always keep the iPhone, you know, kind of close. Try not to keep it too close to your freaking head. But, uh, uh, you know, I keep it close so that for those times that where a riff comes and it's in my head, but I know I'll forget it when I'm completely awake. I have it right there on voice memos and, and music memos and just and either humming into it or try and go down to the studio, grab a guitar and play what I felt I heard in my head. 
So again, some or or I or I recite the lyric of what I thought was good, and maybe who knows the next day it's not so good. But I mean, that that's what you have to do is is like keep recording these riffs on these and these memos, and then you're going to have a selection point to go. Oh, I'll sort through these ten or twelve riffs. Maybe I'll find two. Maybe I'll find five. Who knows? You'll find enough to make a song out of, and then. You go off from there. Work I it down, it. and hopefully you have people that you work with that 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 can help you, you know, put together the song, put together the idea, and maybe even suggest uh, ways to make it even better. I find it interesting how really hooky your music is, and mm-hmm. I mentioned, you know, I interviewed Tuck Smith, who's a newer independent artist who's got really hooky too and the one commonality between you two is you're both huge cheap trick fans you both <laughs> were huge influence on cheap trick fans and when you listen to cheap tricks music it's power pop it's very hooky and it's it's very melodic and when you listen to your music like especially with the last album and your other solo stuff the one the one complaint i have with you ryan is I really want to find your actual albums other than imaginary reality that you release. I know it's all in the box set now, but I've, I've gone on discogs looking for that stuff and it's so difficult to find, but I would love to have the physical copy. That's a whole nother topic for another day, but. The whole, and they're probably kept under the radar. Somebody has them somewhere. Yeah. Um, the thing is, I'm not just a fan of like power pop of cheap trick and rock and roll of, uh, of cheap trick. It's, it's, I'm an AM radio fan as well because that's what i grew up on and back in the day it was when am radio was not just sports talk and talk radio it was actually songs but it was a spectrum of songs and where i grew up in the bay area it was the commodores going into aerosmith going into earth wind and fire going into clearance clearwater revival it was like a a whole roller coaster of, of funk rock pop and but I can guarantee you that, you know, AM radio definitely helped me uh, shape the type of songs that I like to write, the type of songs that I eventually record. And, um, yeah, the type of stuff I'm doing right now and hopefully putting out uh, in the coming year. So you do have new solo stuff that you're working on. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I've. um Robbie Miller has been helping me out. Joel Koshay, uh, the guitar, one of the guitar players from the Planet Axe as well. Um, that tour that you saw at the uh, at the Rock Bar, uh, he we we've recorded a couple songs. Um, Joel does a great job of mixing um, this last track. It's more of a, I, I think you'll. It's more more radio friendly, Ryan Roxy pop rock, but like hints of Tom Petty in there. Hints of Brian Adams, you know, I like that stuff a lot as well. But then I have the other songs where it's a little bit more indie. I like, you know, I like bands like The Vines. Obviously, Nirvana, Nevermind was a was a big influential album. To me, Nevermind, the album by Nirvana, is basically a cheap trick album with just loud and more abrasive guitars. But, you know, pop record it, with with I call it heavy pop. And, and one of the bands I was in early on um, that I formed was called DPM, which stands for Dad's Porno Mag. And we actually used to call ourselves Heavy Pop. And we had Mike Fasano on the drums, Will Efforts on the bass, 
Stefan Adika and Carrie Kelly as well were in the band and the touring band. And I think we did a pretty good job of taking pop music, but making it as heavy as possible. And when you saw us live, no one can say it was a pop band. It turned into a rock and roll band. How do you keep evolving as an artist? How do you push yourself? Um, I think it's not always easy at all to, to keep pushing yourself, especially when you get comfortable and you, you've been able to live a certain and tour in a certain lifestyle for years. Um, the way I've been lucky enough to do with Alice, you know, I, I understand about the, you know, being hungry and being in the trenches and sort of just, but doing something every day towards whatever goal you're trying to achieve, I think keeps you driven, keeps you creative, keeps you progressive, you know, progressing. Um, looking up to people, having good role models. And, you know, luckily I have the best entertainment role model, and he's been my boss for over 25 years with Alice Cooper, to see, like, of all guys that you'd say, well, you know, how do you keep evolving? How do you keep driven? Just look, I just look at Alice Cooper on stage. I look at him making album after album, studio album after studio album, doing one project to another, whether it's the radio show to the new radio show or, or whatever, you know, fingers he has his hands in, you know, project wise. I just look up to him as that's the way you keep evolving is you just keep creating. You keep doing you, you not to say that you, Blindly do it. You think about it, but but do something a little. And it doesn't mean that you have to do it every single day for hours and hours. I appreciate it, and I um, applaud anybody that says they practice, you know, until their fingers bleed every single day. Because you're going to get good at your craft, no doubt about it. But you don't have to, in the sense of if you put a little bit of work in each day, and you're focused on the end result, and you actually are visualizing how you feel at that end result, it's going to happen. If you say it's going to happen, it's going to happen, but put in the work. You don't, you don't wish it. You don't dream it. You put in the work a little bit every day and that end result will happen. Where do you find your inspiration these days? I mean, you've been in music for so long. There's a lot of new music. I mean, do you draw on new music? Do you try to find I do. something that you I, I, I listen to? Yeah, I, I listen to, to new bands. I, I get uh, discover. It seems like I discover new bands every single day, every single week. I have a weekly uh, radio show called The Roxy Rock Show on Monsters of Rock Radio, where I get to play not only a bunch of my own music and projects that I've been involved with, but I get to play newer bands as well. You know, there's, there's some new punk sort of band there's a there's a girl named karen deox with what's the song um uh, sick ride karen Dios dio sick ride look it up you won't be disappointed uh actually another band that was that i listened to and got turned on uh through her was a band called dinosaur pileup I've never heard of Dinosaur Pile Up until this last week, but you know what? They have a song, Backfoot. Oh my God. The, song, the, the riff might, the song might be a couple years old. First time I'd ever heard it was this last week, and it killed. 
It killed. I'm sure there's a lot of people maybe listening right now going, oh, I know dinosaur pile up. What are you talking about? But there again, there's a lot of bands out there that sort of fly under the radar and maybe they come to you at a certain time. Again, another way that I can get inspired by new bands and discover new bands is just hit the radio button of any song I like. If you put on a good song and then I hit the radio button, you know, the old technology algorithm will put songs that are similar that might, I, I've been turned on to countless bands because of that radio feature in, in a bunch of streaming platforms. I think that's, that's a great thing. You know, hearing you talk and knowing how I am with music is we still find the inspiration in it. We still find the great new artists. When someone tells me new rock music sucks, my first response is oh. you're not listening. You're not, you're not fine. You're not, you're not yeah. searching it out. You yeah. know, you're not searching, you're not searching it out. I mean, and I keep a, I keep a bunch of bands again on, on the, on the phone so I can listen to it later. I write, the, I write the names of the bands down. I mean, there, there's so many out there. There's so many out there. Um, yeah. But again, just go, go to your, find the, find the song that you like, the band that you like, and then just hit radio. And I'm sure there's going to be another, you'll discover another band within 20 songs of that playlist. Does the podcast and the radio show help you, help you, you said, you know, you get inspired by new bands, but does it, does it still keep you as the fan that you once was that day when you saw Orange Plus? Does that give you the ability to do that? Might make me even more of a fan of the artists that I uh, interview because honestly, sometimes I don't know a lot about a certain artist and I just know them from maybe this song or this body of work that they've done, never met them, never talked to them. And then I sit and talk with them and we have a little retrospective about their career. And you realize like, holy crap, they've, they've put in the work and they, they, their stories will always surprise you and inspire you. So yes, I would say definitely the podcast keeps me inspired, might even make, me more of a fan of the artists that i um interview than before i agree i i think when i've when i've interviewed people on my show too i go back and listen and sometimes because music is a lot about timing right and it's a lot about what you're going on what's going on in your life so you may have heard a song when you're 25 years old that hit you differently than now when it does you know as you've moved on and, and gotten older in life and they they say a song, the, uh, the testament of a great song is it stands the test of time, which I think is true. But I think even more so, a great song evolves with you, right? And it has different meanings at different points in your life, and it gives you different perspectives. I think that really is a true masterpiece. I agree. Much agree. Yeah. What song is that for you? Jeez, I think... Um, if I were to pick a few of them, I would say Cashmere from Zeppelin. Uh, mm-hmm. When I first heard it when I was a kid, it was it means something different to me than now. It, meant, it was more of a vibe when I was, in, you know, when I first heard it when I was younger. Now it's more about the journey. It's, it's more about a metaphor of a journey in life, um, if anything. And reflecting, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bumping up against 50 here. 
So that's really reflective, you know, when you're I, a when child, I, you're a child. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> you're a new schooler. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. To, well, well, welcome to the 50 club. Um, I might be actually, you know, I'm, I'm getting out of the 50 club in just a couple <laughs> of years. So moving on up to the old 60 club. So isn't it crazy that we're, that we're lucky enough to still do this yeah. um, and, and be that not just be inspired by the posters on your wall. We get, I get to play with the posters on my, that I grew up on my wall as a, as a kid, I get to play with a lot of these artists and I get to interview them on the podcast and I get to be that fanboy kid still, but then off, you know, be on stage as well. And maybe be on somebody else's wall as a poster, you know, with a picture of me and Alice Cooper or something like that. So I, I not a day goes by where I don't realize how, how fortunate I am to be doing this at um, the age I'm at. And again, thankful for Alice Cooper to be, you know, leading that way as a pioneer because, you know, he just had his 76th birthday party, perhaps, I think 76th birthday. And he's always said, look, I'm going to tour five years more than uh, Mick Jagger. And Mick Jagger's on tour this year. So good for me. (laughs) That's amazing. And it's amazing, too, that artists like Alice and the Stones – are still putting out great records, still putting out really great stuff. And one of my favorite records of, of, you know, was Hackney Diamonds. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, One of of my favorite albums of the year. I mean, you know, I wouldn't say 2023. I'd say, you know, this whole 2023, 24, because they're going to be probably touring it this year. Really love that album. And I've turned so many people onto that record. Really liked it. And I'm really proud of the album that we did with Alice, Road, that we released earlier um, last year. So, again, we'll be touring that throughout 2024. So let's just say that 23, 24 sort of kind of, you know, go together. And we both have good albums to promote and put out there this year and next. As we close, last question for you. What? excites you the most about music today? Um, The fact that there's a young audience that is willing to now, I feel, take the torch and run with it. There's definitely influence that I see through these younger bands that have ties to the old school bands, whether it's, 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 Led Zeppelin as an influence, if you go with Greta Van Fleet or, you know, or whether it's more of a punk rock vibe that you have influence from, whether it's like, you know, uh, a band like Starcrawler, for instance, with Arrow Wild being like, you know, taking the baton from Iggy Pop and that and just or, or even the guitarist with with White Stripes. It's like there, there's a there's definitely an evolution happening with uh, rock and roll. And I'm happy to see that there's a younger generation that is, is is taking it under their belts and they're going, the kids are going to be all right. You know, that, that who song, the kids are all right. The kids will always know the kids will be all right. Hopefully there'll always be room for guys like us to be on stage. And, you know, if we want to, Hey, you want to look at what I done my whole entire career. You want to look, I'm still trying to bring my live performance as as best I can with as much energy as I can. You want to look as that as an inspiration for you to help you with your band. Great. I'm willing, ready and able to pass that torch of rock and roll on to you. Ryan, it's been a blast, man. Better than I could have anticipated. I really love the conversation. Thank you, Jay. Let's do it again sometime. And uh, 
Thanks always for having, for you, the listeners, going to check out any of the new music that we have. It's all, all my info and stuff is just ryanroxy.com. So go check it out if you want to hear more. And all Ryan's information will be in the show notes while you're listening. So when you get done listening to the conversation, click on one of those links on his social media or his streaming on Spotify. You can check out his solo stuff, which is under the radar, but it's really, really freaking good. So check that stuff out. Once again, I'm Jay Scott. Thanks to our guest, Ryan Roxy. This has been another episode of the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Me podcast. Stay healthy, take care of each other, and we will talk soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.